We are this afternoon continuing our sermon series that we've been doing through Advent, looking at the songs of the Nativity. Uh, This afternoon we look at the glory song, Gloria in Excelsis Deo, uh, found in the second chapter of the gospel according to Luke. Before we read God's holy word to us, let us turn to the Lord and ask him to bless the reading and hearing of his word. Let us pray together. Almighty God, just as you came and revealed yourself long ago through your word made flesh, and come and reveal yourself this day through your written word, grace us with your presence. Grant that we may get a glimpse of your glory. Speak to us of your love and tender mercy that descends from heaven to draw near to us in our despair and darkness. And we pray, O Christ, just as you were born long ago in Bethlehem, that you would be born this day in our hearts through the power of your Spirit. For we pray this in the name of the one who was born in Bethlehem, Jesus the Christ. Amen. Our scripture reading comes from the Gospel according to Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. Dearly beloved, hear the word of the Lord, it is written. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. Now to him who loves us, who has freed us from our sins by his blood, to Jesus Christ be all glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Can we marvel at this moment, the magnificence of this moment this afternoon, the birth of 
this baby that Luke's gospel gives witness to. In just seven verses, seven verses out of more than a thousand that Luke will write in his gospel. He lays the scene and announces this birth. Just seven verses that announce an event that will change human history forever. The birth of a baby to a peasant woman in a small town. A seemingly insignificant event in what seems to be such sparse details from Luke's pen might indicate as much. In all the times that you have read or heard this text, have you ever noticed that there aren't any details about the baby himself? Not a one. We aren't told of adorable tiny fingers or toes or whether there was cooing or crying coming from his lovable little lips. All we are told is that Mary gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling claws and laid him in a manger. The scene that Luke paints for us then doesn't contain any sweet sentimentality that's often portrayed in popular culture concerning Jesus' birth. This was not Luke's aim. But don't mistake the brevity of this announcement for a lack of importance. This baby who enters into the world by such humble means is the king of the universe, as the Gospels will go on to tell us. It is through him that all things were made, as John's Gospel says. This baby boy is the very same one through whom creation was spoken into being. His tiny hands that are probably wrapped tightly across his infant chest being swaddled are the very hands of God that measured the heavens and hung the stars. But the description of the birth of Jesus in Luke's gospel is simple. It's unadorned with excessive details. But this is because this was the nature of the event from the world's perspective. God doesn't break into our time and space in a manner that is showy and grandiose. It is quiet and humble, missed by those who are not paying attention. It is breathtaking, actually, to think about the reality that God, who is infinite and immutable, takes on human flesh and is born of a woman. And when this occurs, all the world around him is silent to his coming. But that doesn't mean that the world is quiet altogether. These seven verses do speak of the movement and noise created by this census, which is being taken for taxation purposes. This small town of Bethlehem is packed to the brim with individuals who had long left their family homes but returned by edict of the emperor. And this is why Mary and Joseph were there, Joseph being from the house of David, whose hometown was Bethlehem. And Bethlehem is so full that Luke tells us that there is no room in the inn for Mary and Joseph and their newborn baby. God is almost crowded right out of the picture. All because of the racket 
a political posturing and self-imagined importance of those who held worldly power. It is the noise created by men who imagine that they are masters of their own fate and who are seeking after their own glory. But when the one who actually directs history descends, the one who holds power over all of creation, all is still and silent. It's masterful, really, how Luke in these first seven verses reveals to us that God is at work in this moment, orchestrating everything that is happening, using even humanity's illusion of power and plans to advance their own glory for his own ends. He is the one bringing together the Greco-Roman world with Jewish prophecy working out his plan of salvation that would touch every nation, tribe, and tongue. So the details that Luke does give us of the birth in the first seven verses of the second chapter are few, but they are precise. As one scholar so poignantly put it, these verses are a little jewel of economical storytelling, each of its many facets beautifully cut in showing brilliant depths. But a shift occurs in verse 8. Luke wants us to understand that the coming of God into our world would have gone largely unnoticed except that the heavenly host announce it. Luke moves us from the silence of the world at the birth of Jesus in the first seven verses to the shepherds and angels in the next 13. In what is almost double the amount of space and attention, Luke describes this scene of the shepherds who are keeping watch over their flock by night when a heavenly visitor appears. These shepherds are unexpected recipients of this message. But Luke tells us that an angel of the Lord appeared to them and that the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. The shepherds who were just going about their work completely unaware of what has just occurred in Bethlehem find themselves in the presence of this angel, a supernatural being, the likes of which they have never seen and could probably have never imagined. And around them, the glory of the Lord was shining, an inconceivable glory, a light of extraordinary splendor. And they are completely overwhelmed by this heavenly visitation, shaking in fear at the power and glory that now stands before them and surrounds them. And a very different scene is laid out than what has been described in the first seven verses. As the shepherds become blessed recipients of the message of this angel who announces good news of great joy, that a savior has been born. Heaven will not allow the birth of Jesus to be left unpraised. And this news that one angel brings is so great that it requires an entire angelic chorus to provide a proper response. This one angel quickly gives way to a whole army of angels and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. 
into the world's silence, heaven comes bursting forth. The world might be silent to Jesus' coming, but Luke tells us that the heavens are not. The moment will receive proper attention, if not by anyone else than from the heavenly host. And this revelation is staggering. Think about what the angels are saying as they are singing glory to God in the highest. God's highest glory is found here. In this moment, almost unnoticed. In a little town to a peasant woman in this humble birth, a baby laid in a manger. Since the dawn of creation, all creation has been giving glory to God. Scripture tells us that the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. From the sun's rising to its setting, from birds chirping to flowers blooming, from waves crashing against the shore to mountains raising up into the heavens, from the stars shining to the dew glistening in the morning sun, creation can't help but to give glory to God. It sings His praise and blesses His name. It is all revealing God to us, his wisdom, his goodness, his power, his majesty. It is all giving him glory. But the angels come singing of God's highest glory. God's glory was being revealed in the birth of this baby boy in a way that it never had before. Nothing in all of creation could compare to what God has done in the incarnation. This is what the angels are singing. As Charles Spurgeon so eloquently says, Do not all things exalt him from the least even to the greatest, but sing, sing, O universe, till thou hast exhausted thyself. Thou canst not afford a song so sweet as a song of the incarnation. Though creation may be a majestic organ of praise, it cannot reach the compass of the golden canicle, incarnation. There is more in that than in creation, more melody in Jesus in the manger than there is in worlds on worlds, rolling grandeur round the throne of the Most High. God's highest glory found in the lowly birth of this baby boy and why is this because what god does in jesus christ is provide a perfect revelation of himself in jesus christ who is fully man the fullness of god is pleased to dwell the invisible god has become visible and dwelt among us this is the holy mystery that the apostle paul tells us of in his letter to the colossians and so scripture declares that god has revealed his glory in his son in a unique way in the highest way john tells us in his gospel and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory glory as of the only son from the father full of grace and truth 
And from chapter 1 of Hebrews, we are told that Jesus Christ is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. In Jesus Christ, we find the attributes of God made manifest. God's justice, faithfulness, love, power, goodness, wisdom. The list could go on and on. All of them perfectly magnified in Jesus Christ. As Spurgeon stated, the whole of God is glorified in Christ. And though some part of the name of God is written in the universe, it is here best read in him who was the son of man and yet the son of God. Brothers and sisters, our task this day is to consider that when God sends his son into the world, when he descends to dwell among us, when he reveals himself to us in his son, we are glimpsing his glory and it is for his glory, but it is working for our benefit. The angels are singing praise for what God has done for us. God has ordained to receive glory, the highest glory, for sending his son to be our savior. It is truly remarkable that even while humanity lies silent, the angels can't. They are singing the glory of God that provides salvation to men. And the glory belongs to God alone because salvation comes from him alone. There is nothing humanity has done to deserve this magnificent gift from God. It has come by God's grace alone. And what a beautiful song it is that tells us that God desires to get glory for himself by giving himself to us in order that we might be saved. He has chosen to receive glory in profiting us. This is what the song sings. Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace. God grants us peace by the forgiveness of sins offered in the death of his son. The angels know why Christ has come. They know that he would lay down his life as an atonement for sin, that we might be reconciled to God and set at peace with him. That no longer will we be enemies, but we will be purchased by his blood to be his children. Peace will spread everywhere that this child who lays now in a manger is received in faith. And it announces in his birth his sacrificial death. And with this, the angelic chorus sings the glorious gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. That as glory will now ever ascend to God for his gift of his son, that peace will now ever descend from God to man. This is what scripture declares to us, isn't it? Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. As John Piper says so well, there is hardly a better way to sum up what God was about when he created the world. Or when he came to reclaim the world in Jesus Christ, his glory, our peace, his greatness, our joy, his beauty, our pleasure. 
The point of creation and redemption is that God is glorious and means to be known and praised for his glory by a peace-filled new humanity. So what a beautiful song it is that sings glory to a God who has chosen to receive glory by sending his son into the world to redeem sinners. And not only this, but God has claimed these redeemed sinners as his own to share with them his glory as his children. God became like us that we might be made like him. The apostle Paul tells us that Christ, though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. This is God's highest glory that he might be glorified in your salvation and that you might be glorified in him so when the angels sing of Jesus's birth there is no greater praise that could be on their lips It wasn't when they were born and began to sing God's praise. It wasn't when the world was made. It wasn't when the stars were hung. They sang their highest hallelujahs when they beheld Jesus Christ born of the Virgin Mary to be man's redeemer. Glory to God in the highest. And the angel song calls God's redeemed to be silent no longer. We are invited into the chorus to sing of God's highest glory. Even while the world is largely silent to God's coming into the world, even while the noise of the world seeking its own glory continues, those who have placed faith in Jesus Christ, those who have received the glorious benefit of salvation, the forgiveness of sins in peace with God, those whom he gave the right to become children of God, as the apostle John says. Dearly beloved, it's time to rejoice. To sing loudly this glory song, to join our voices with the heavenly hosts and the saints of ages past who have gone before us. This is our task in a dark world. In a world that lies ignorant of God's coming, we are to announce it with joy and thanksgiving to the praise of God's glory. We are to tell of the coming of Jesus Christ from the mountaintops. Dearly beloved, the world which lies in deafening darkness all around us in the midst of a pandemic and polarized politics and persistent protests, a world which lives in fear and anger and self-seeking glory needs to hear the Christmas message now more than ever. God's highest glory needs to not only be believed in our hearts, but sung from our lips. And if the news of God's, if the news that God's highest glory is the sending of his son into the world to provide you peace, if this news doesn't cause your heart to swell with joy, if it doesn't cause you to go forth as the shepherds did, glorifying and praising God, then you don't understand the message of Christmas at all. And you don't know God and have not yet experienced his love for you in Jesus Christ. And if this is you, my prayer is that Christ would be born in you this day as you repent of your sins and turn to him in faith. Dearly beloved, don't miss 
the opportunity presented to us as we approach the manger. Hear the angel song. Go and see what the Lord has done and place your faith in this precious gift that God has given to us in Jesus Christ who reveals God's heart to us and grants us God's peace. Freely he has been given to you. Freely receive him. And may God be glorified this day in our salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ and unto ages of ages. Let us pray. O oh, gracious Father, we celebrate the birth of your beloved Son this day. He is the one of whom the prophets spoke and the one who the poor in spirit long to see. Help us as your church to marvel at the mystery of the incarnation and to repeat the song of the angels. Grant that we might never fail to praise you, to exalt your name, to give you glory for your goodness to us, the gift of salvation in Jesus Christ. And as we humble ourselves before you and become servants with Christ, make us to shine in the light of Christ to the dark world around us. And even as we bow ourselves low, raise us up to share in your glory. For we pray this in the mighty name of Jesus Christ and for his sake. Amen. In response to the gospel of Jesus Christ, let us now stand and affirm what we believe using the Nicene Creed. Christian, in whom do you believe? We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in all things visible and invisible. And in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for ourselves.